Guys, before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to give you some good news. As I was recording this conversation with Chris Sietzema, who's a really smart and uh, interesting guest, I learned that both of us will actually be at the same event speaking, uh, and it's the Internet Summit, which uh, is in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's going from November 12th to 14th, so there's still time to get tickets. Uh, When I told them how excited I was, they gave me a special promo code that I can share with you guys if you're able to attend. So if you use the code ADAM50, A-D-A-M 50, no space, uh, it'll save you $50 off your session pass. Uh, That'll get you access, get you into the show, uh, and let you hear from all the great speakers. You can learn more about the event at internetsummit.com, and I hope to see you there. If you hear about it from this show and you go, hit me on Twitter, at APierno, and let me know you're coming. I would love to see you. Thanks a lot. Enjoy this episode. It's a good one. I don't want to do this. This is sales and marketing are two different things in my world. And I, I only want to do one of those consultants or agencies to start to add headcount and mouths to feed. It's like they kind of sacrifice doing the work for making sure that the, the pipeline is full. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. I'm pumped because I get to talk to one of my old buddies. Uh, a lot of times I'm introducing myself to someone new on these things and it's super awkward, but this is going to be like two pals talking over coffee, which I think via the internet we literally are. Are we toasting? We yeah, are. let's do it. We are. I, ex- I expected you to have coffee and I always have one. So even middle of the day. But uh, joining me today, the digital marketing consultant uh, at Teach to Fish Digital, which is the uh, the firm that he started and runs, is uh, Chris Sitsima. Chris, how are you? I'm great, Adam. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. And I was just teasing you about your title. I called it low to the ground. That's right. Keeping it simple. Uh, you keep it simple. Digital marketing consultant. I'm just no slight on that title, but knowing what is inside your head and how much, how knowledgeable and experienced you are, a lot of people would have a hard time not calling themselves CEO or founder or chief, <laughs> whatever, you know, some, some fancy title. You keep it real simple. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Those highfalutin titles just aren't me. I'm, I'm going to go to the boss here and tell him, ask if they can change my title to something like, you know, real starter entry level. <laughs> tell, tell people, for those who don't know you as well as I do, uh, give them a sense of your career, kind of where you did, what you've done and what you did to build up to uh, before you started Teach to Fish. Yeah, for sure. I actually started as an architecture student, believe it or not, at uh, Arizona State University. Did I ever tell you that? That makes that makes sense to me. No, I don't think I knew that, but it does make sense the way you approach things. it. It does a bit. It lasted a grand total of six and a half weeks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, ironically, because this is a lot of what I do now, I had trouble uh, kind of melding the worlds of architecture theory and architecture and practice, you know, like uh, actually seeing how a building should be constructed and actually drawing it out. I just couldn't wrap my head around doing that, which is funny because it's kind of like what I do now, what we do now. Right. Exactly. Just for brands. So I I got out of there as soon as I possibly could and uh, went over (laughs) to marketing because that was uh, in the business school and everybody did business if you didn't know what to do and marketing was the funnest one. You knew you wanted to do business. Some kind of, you said, we're going to do some kind of business. That's what we're going to do. It sounded better than undecided. I think that was the logic in my head as a 17 year old in in school. 
I've researched this and actually the most common undecided major is psychology. That was my minor. No joke. At ASU. Yeah. yeah. At uh, ASU. That's a fact. That was my minor. Yeah. So uh, coming out of school, I, I worked at a small little agency, a startup company that was starting to build websites and um, was there for about five years. And they luckily gave me more responsibility and work than I really deserved. And so I forced myself to kind of learn everything, which was a curse at the time because it stressed me right. as, a, as a young kid, uh, but also a blessing because I forced myself to learn everything and got a good appreciation of everything and kind of became a, a digital marketing generalist, if you will. And you got to see how things connect. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So bring it back around to the architecture piece that started to make more sense in my head now. Um, I left there because I was just burned out as a 24 year old who was just managing all kinds of people and doing all kinds of projects. And I went to a home builder um, in town and um, did well there was a project manager. I think my title there was project manager of lead generation. And that was uh, Pulte Homes, Del Webb. And yeah. so I quickly realized that's, that's where you started to learn that titles are stupid. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I the titles are dumb. And, um, I, I quickly learned, um, I did a lot of email marketing and paid search and digital advertising and conversion rate optimization before that. It was even really a thing. Um, this is Oh five when I could track because I'm a, I'm a stats nerd, as you know, I could track the millions of dollars that I was personally responsible for bringing into that company. This is like in two, 2005 when it wasn't hard. Like uh, I remember my, at the time, my neighbor next door put his house on the market 15 minutes later, it was sold. It was crazy. Right. right? Yeah. I, I bought a home during that time. It was terrible. yeah Phoenix and in Vegas and parts of Florida. It was just like that. Right. So I kind of saw that there was kind of a bubble, but I also realized that the only way to advance in that company was to move to no, no offense to people who live in this place, but to move to Detroit. And I'm, I'm a desert kid, you know, so I wasn't planning on going to Detroit. So uh, I left the Pulte homes and, and moved on to back to the agency world and worked there for about five years in another agency called Off Madison Ave, which was uh, started by a couple of good friends of ours. Um, also merged with uh, Mighty Interactive at the time, uh, who, which was started by Jason or Jay Bear and was there for about five years. And toward the latter part of that uh, stint at, at OMA or Off Madison Ave, my boss at the time wanted me not only to lead a group of people, but also do business development and sales for the team, which I, I was distraught about. <laughs> I, I think there, yeah, I was not happy about that. Those are the, what you were doing there. And this is the, the up and the down of small agencies, as you pointed out in your first job too, you were doing four jobs. You weren't doing each one. You weren't working 160 hours a week, but you were doing each one a portion of your 60 hours that you were billing. Correct. And not really doing any one of them with focus or as well as you hope to do them, which is a, which is a blessing and a curse of small agencies. Correct. Um, and, and small business in general. Absolutely. And if I started naming off all the things that I was doing, we'd be here for the full half hour that we're going to be talking. Right? So, um, so he, he asked me, you know, in addition to leading this team and, and getting this work done, and, you know, being productive and having a good revenue per employee number, all that good stuff that the agency world looks at. He's like, I want you to do business development. And I said, oh my God, I don't want to do this. This is sales and marketing are two different things in my world. And I, I only want to do one of those. And so I took a, a good buddy of mine out to beers one night. He sold used cars and he kind of gave me his thoughts on what I should do. And I quickly 
forgot everything he told me. And I said, all right. I'm, and you got into an 87 <laughs> Miata. Yeah. What's it going to take <laughs> to get you there? Uh, so I, I forgot everything he told me. God bless him. And I said, I'm just going to do this my own personal way. I'm not even going to try and sell. If I, if I get an appointment, I'm going to tell them and teach them what I would do in their situation. And if they want to work with us, great. And if they don't, that's okay too. And that was it. That was the entire approach. Here's what I would do. If you want to work with us? Awesome. If you don't, I can absolutely make recommendations for who you should work with in this town or other towns, that kind of thing. And that worked so well that I said, Ooh, I think I can do this on my own. And so at that point, this is 2010, I branched off and uh, did my own thing and named it Teach to Fish Digital. Um, kind of along the lines of, of this conversation, the reason I named it Teach to Fish Digital is that A, I, you know, I like the whole Teach to Fish moniker, you know, um, feed a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him to fish, feed him for a lifetime. And digital at the time wasn't that really prominent. It was interactive or online marketing. Right. Nobody knew how to plug it into their greater scheme for the most part. Exactly. So what I did, and this is a little nerdy, you can kind of see this side of me coming out real quick, is that I looked at um, search Google, Google Trends. I looked at search trends and saw what the trend was for online marketing versus interactive marketing and digital marketing. And at the time, digital marketing ranked third, but it had the highest growth trajectory. It was on the upswing fast and hard. And so I'm like, all right, I'll, I won't be teach to fish online or interactive. I'll just be teach to fish digital. And that's paid off now because as we all know, we don't think of interactive marketing as much anymore. Online marketing, it's not in our parlance as much as digital marketing is. So, No, yeah. We don't even say either of those two things anymore. Yeah. And we don't put, we don't put E in front of everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although the, the push towards experience will probably have people figuring out a way to put. Good point. Yeah. X's or E's or yeah. something connected to every single part they're doing. For sure. Chief, chief experience officer yeah. yes. is a thing. So uh, what I wanted to talk to you about is uh, I was able to watch you run a work a workshop a couple of weeks ago with some pretty high level uh, marketers and break down. Uh, you took us through SEO and it generated some questions for me that I thought we should talk about. As you know, my role and my focus is on brands, understanding people better, trying to figure out how to connect the goals of my company to what people that are interested in our company actually want. Um, and when you were talking about SEO and all the ways we can figure out what's happening, I thought, you know, there's so much, primarily the calls you get, the inbound calls you get for, for Teach to Fish are people saying, hey, help us figure out a thing like, we want our website to work better or we're trying to run ads. How do we figure out if, how they're working or, you know, there's a conversion point that they're trying to track. Correct. They're trying to get customers from point A to point Q. Right. All in one step. Right. A lot of times. Yeah. And I, what I always lament is there's so much more we can be learning about behavior through this, all the rich tracking that we have and things we can be doing to apply to, that we could figure out how to better serve customers, how we can better grow businesses, how we can innovate just based on looking at our own sites. So I want to talk about um, different approaches to that and different points of view and maybe some examples of things you've done that uh, bring that to life and, you know, beyond just, you know, sales conversions or click conversions. For sure. 
Yeah, the, I think the example that we shared with with the group that we talked through or that during that workshop was there's a tool called Google Search Console. Google Search Console is kind of like analytics, but only for SEO, right? For search engine optimization. And you can, it's a free tool, just like all the all the quote unquote free tools from Google that, yes. they, that they use our data for. Uh, and it was it's a tool that you can see like how many people are searching for the terms that you're trying to rank for. Where are you ranking? Uh, what, what keywords are, you, are people using to find your website? And there's all kinds of little widgets and filters within that tool. And one of them, you can actually look at the use of your brand name, right? How often mm-hmm. your brand name is, is searched for. And you can see what the trend of that is. And almost by proxy, we can utilize search data to understand the health and the vibrancy of the brand, right? So if, if impressions for your brand terms or derivatives of the brand name are growing, well, that's a good thing. And I wonder why that's happening. Is that due to some kind of outreach program we're doing? Is that due to a word of mouth effort? Is it due to like new store openings or advertising campaigns, et cetera? Or news. Or just news, like right, P- PR. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, good or bad, right? And... If it's going down, if that trend for your brand is going down, well, there's not much I can do from a search engine optimization standpoint to help that, right? Because search doesn't create demand, it fulfills it, right? And thus we can utilize these to understand what we should be doing in other ones outside search uh, related to branding, related to advertising, related to public relations and outreach and all those different types of things. How do you help people your clients, your partners, just people you're working with, how do you help them break out of the tunnel vision of conversion focus? Or, you know, I think if I I have a a analytics dashboard up right here, I have 360 up for something I'm working on and I can get to a, I can get to any specific metric. And a lot of times when I open it, I am looking for one metric about one property or page or content module to see one thing. And that, I've, I just find that dangerous to be focused on any one thing at any given time for, you know, besides answering this specific question for these 10 seconds to always be tracking that single thing. How do you, how do you show people context and help, you know, help them understand why it's important? I think a lot of it comes down to the roles within the organization, like who's doing what. So you, you definitely have to have people who uh, are tree people and other people who are forest people. Right. Um, so the, to, to use the example that you're using where you're looking at a very specific data point, trying to understand um, how to fix a very specific problem. That's fine. Um, and that's that's important because it'll probably help with that specific issue or that scenario. But we also have to kind of keep our, our eye on the bigger picture. Um, and thus leadership needs to understand what we're actually trying to accomplish. So typically when I have conversations about conversion rate optimization um, or uh, improving whatever scenario that we're in, uh, whether it's getting more traffic, increasing yield, eliminating, eliminating waste, that's just for content or, or pieces of information that just aren't working on a website or app or whatever. I typically pull back and say like, all right, wh- what are we, what are we trying to do? Like what does yeah. success look like? Um, how much do you draw? How much do you hammer home the idea of uh, a lot of marketers, a lot of people use analytics and digital platform reporting as the brain, mm-hmm. but really 
it is just, here's a collection of numbers. The operator is the brain. <laughs> Knowing how, how to connect those things is the brain. That's how you're, you can, any person can benefit from this if they just know what questions they have. For sure. And with the technology that's available to us with all those new dashboarding tools, whether it's, you know, Google Data Studio or Domo or, or any of those different dashboarding tools, I could probably rattle off 15 of them. Um, all that like reporting work is done. Like we, we don't really have to worry about that. Um, the, the actual manually pulling and extracting of those numbers should be automated or it should be pretty simple where, where the analyst earns her keep is by translating that data and understanding what it means. Um, like typically um, when I train folks who, to, to kind of be analysts or take up the analyst role within the organization. One of the things I try and say is for every hour you spend pulling data, spend three or four analyzing it, right. And trying to, to, to translate those insights and, and find meaning in those. Um, a lot of that is it's difficult because when we think of analytics, we think of pie charts and graphs and lines and things like that, which is very <laughs> left brained. Um, yeah. the, insights, the insights part is art. That's, that's all right brain stuff. It's like, how, how do we translate this into a creative insightful next step on which we can take action? Please go on and tell me how you uh, take a sip of coffee. This is going to be a long, sure. it's going to be a long answer. I think so. The, the listeners to this show are the people that are hunting insights that are responsible for generating and finding insights, um, uh, that are desperate for turning the data into that art that they can be, that can be translated for a greater team to do something with, to be inspired by. Mm -hmm. Help me. Okay. How do, how can we do that? How can I do that? I have a dashboard up, as I said, right okay. now, and I'm trying to do that exactly. Thing. Help you. So yeah. give, me, give me some step-by-steps <laughs> here. This is not a tip show, but, yeah, yeah. but I tell you already have this worked out a little yeah, bit. I'm ready to go. Okay. So yeah. there's, <laughs> let's go, let's, let's work our way from simple to advanced. Okay. Simple ways to go about it is this the way that you construct your dashboard or your custom report should allow you to see deltas very quickly, right? So you should see from, from last period or the previous period to this period, what changed, right? Now the analyst it is the analyst job is not to say, Oh, look, that number went up done. No, it's yeah. why did it go up? Why do we care? And what are we going to do about it? So that's where the kind of the art comes into play, right? The, the report does its job by telling us what went up or what went down or what changed, what modified, where the deltas are. The analyst says, why? Like, why did this happen? And if it's a good thing, how do we get more of it? And if it's not so good thing, how do we curb that now? Right. Um, the other, the other little, I've got a little cheat sheet and I could actually send it to you, Adam, and you can share it with the audience if you want, but I've got a list of like 52 questions and they're organized in, um, segments. One, one group of questions is all about the audience. Like who is coming to our website or app, who is coming from our campaigns. The next is, uh, like acquisition, like where'd they come from? And are those, are those channels working for us? Are they not working for us? Um, and what is their role? Is their role to be kind of building brand awareness or is their role, like we talked about earlier, to convert? And another group is all about behavior. So when people got to our website or app or whatever our experience is, our landing page, what do they do? And finally, the last kind of 
quadrant is just conversion oriented metrics. Like, were they successful and how do we make them more successful? And so there's 52 of them and I'll, and I'll send it to you. It's almost like a deck of cards. And yeah, please send yeah. it. Um, so that's a cheat sheet that I rely upon. Now getting to the, to the more advanced way of doing this, when you break it down, in my opinion, like I mentioned this earlier, we're really trying to do three things, um, not just in marketing, but like in business in general, uh, with respect to gauging success, we're trying to increase volume. Like we want more, we want more traffic. We want, want, want more eyeballs, uh, more people downloading our brochures or whatever it is. Um, that's one we want to improve yield. So if you're like every other business on the planet, um, your resources and budget are limited, right? So how do we get more juice for the squeeze? How do we do more with less? Right. Like I talked about earlier, there, the third kind of category is how do we eliminate waste? So how do we find things that just aren't working and either change them or just kill them? Like, let's get rid of that. Stuff is just a waste. It's not helping. It's not lifting up the bigger goals that we have. Yeah. Let's get it down off the site or let's stop running it. Let's, if we're investing money in it, let's save that money and move it somewhere else. You got it. You got it. So within those three little columns, increase volume, improve yield, eliminate waste. There are multiple things that we can look at to figure out how to improve on uh, or to improve toward an ideal state. Right. And we might not ever get there, but those are the types of things that we're looking for. Right. So within the improved yield, what one example is like, all right, how do we find content that just has magnetism? Like, right. um, so, for example, I work for a nonprofit that does um, different, like sustainability type projects and they're kind of promoting that that idea of sustainability. And for whatever reason, they just got a lot of organic search traffic naturally for water sustainability. Okay. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, shoot, how do we. How do we create more of that stuff? And what do we do right. to the other areas of, of our content marketing ecosystem that aren't doing as well, that just aren't getting as much organic traffic, right? So you figure out what is it about water sustainability and that content that draw, that pulls? Is it, if it's just the subject, then do we have something that actually pays that off? You know, maybe they don't have it. Like, for example, if they don't have a program or a product that is really about paying that off, then they have to fork in the road of, well, we could send them to a partner. We could create more content that's like that, similar, but towards the product, the services we actually do have to, to make a, give a payoff and offer a way for people to engage with us. You got it. It's, it's a, a crossroads that you get to with each piece. That's exactly right. And this discussion is a perfect example of the kinds of discussions that, that kind of come out of, of those meetings in which we're saying, Hey, found something. Here's why it's important. What are we going to do about it? So for every How insight that we have, we have to have an action. How much of it is if, if, um, are you working more on the ground with analysts or are you working with marketers and senior people that are not in the dashboards that are looking for the answers or looking to figure out insights and are two steps away from, from the dashboard itself and are, you know what I mean? They're, they're hearing the reporting or they're reading a report, but they're not tech. They're not in this tools. So how are they, how are they working to get to the answers to maybe do something about brand health, which is a totally different set of metrics and questions than conversions or, you know, improving content. Performance. So I work with both those audiences. Um, and I almost have to chameleon myself a little bit. Um, that's gonna be hard. Totally. Uh, but it's fun. I enjoy it. 
um, because I can go super deep or we go very high level and talk at kind of an executive level. Um, and, and the reports that, that uh, I create and that we create with my, myself and with my clients that they create, I help them create them. Um, they're very much a reflection of the audience. So, for example, the analyst audience is might be a couple pages, right? We've got a lot of detail to dig through and a lot of different things we want to look at and make sure that we're checking all the boxes and dotting all the um, I's and crossing all the T's. The executive level is like half a page. Here's what you need to know. Ready to yeah. go. Break. And that's it. Yeah, you'll, you'll break their mind if you give them too much. Yeah. Just open, open interpretation data points. Yeah, the tricky part is when you've got an executive that does love the data. And so you've got to play both sides to that a little bit, which. Well, it's like any, any presentation to the executive team, you have to be able to, to bottom line it, make a bold recommendation and then be prepared for that person who love, who knows enough to ask detailed questions and have those in your appendix. You can jump to slide 81 real quick and say, okay, well, okay, I'm ready for that question. Let me show you how I got to this conclusion. That's represented. It's 16 hours of work, but it's represented as one bullet point. For sure. Yeah. You've got to be able to kind of pull that, uh, pull that something out of your bag of tricks there just in case they want to, they want to get nasty. So how do you guide those, those people um, that are out of the data to get to the information they want? You know, if it's a, if it's a brand strategist, a brand manager, like a CMO, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, they're not, unless they're at a particular kind of business, they're not that obsessed with necessarily conversions or they're not all growth marketers, although growth is always good. They may be looking at brand health, like we're like I'm focused on here. Uh, that's really my metric affinity and health. Mm-hmm. How the, how the hell do you measure that? Yeah. So how do you guide people to, and I'm not asking you to, to triage my, my how do you get, how do you shape the questions to, to address that? Yeah, typically we, um, that's a great question. And the way that, that I tackle that is more about trying to understand where they're, where they're trying to go. Um, yeah. and typically that, um, brand manager has to report to someone else, right? That they, they have to kind of explain, here's what's happening with the brand to, to even more senior leadership. And thus I want to understand the questions that that, that group is asking. Um, but it always kind of depends upon what we're trying to do. So at the analyst level, it's very particular. Here's all the data at the, at the executive level. I typically don't steer them on where to find that data. I typically just give it to them. Um, And I don't know that that's the best way to do it oftentimes because I'm trying to teach the fish digital. I'm trying to empower people to find their own data. It's just difficult to do a lot of times when someone who's not really um, into getting into the weeds and going way below the surface to find all that detail um, to actually show them how to do it for brand for brand metrics. A lot of it relies upon a few different things we use as proxy, such as search volume, um, search impressions. Um, I don't do a lot like in the unaided brand recall studies type things, but I will pair the information that I can find from the digital world with that, with that quote unquote offline or traditional research. Right. So the more things you can, you can add and look at side by side, the more information you have, right. the more, the more context, each thing all of a sudden takes on new meaning. Yeah. I wish exactly. You, you got it. And I wish there was kind of a silver bullet metric 
for brand health, for example, there just isn't. I, I don't believe there is. And, and I'm working on it right, right? now. I'm working <laughs> on a, a presentation on what metrics are going to help us understand that mm-hmm. and how we're going to track it over time. Because surprisingly, um, social listening platforms seem to have cornered the market on the idea of brand health through some kind of black magic yeah. um, and pseudo metrics. Sure. And, and it's like, this is what we can measure. So here's how we're going to make it work versus give me science that shows that you're, that's really proving it. Um, yeah. It's kind of like um, when my kids are having a fight, you know, and I figure I'm trying to figure out who's what actually happened and they're both in the right and they're both in the wrong a little bit, but you need, yeah, yeah. you need to talk to, I've got two. So I need to talk to both of them and maybe the neighbor kid who watched the whole thing <laughs> and get, and get a really good understanding of like all the different perspectives. No, it turns into an episode of mind Hunter where you're all of a sudden you're taking apart the whole thing and you're doing interviews on tape and trying to, <laughs> yeah. So you've got to look at it from multiple perspectives, I think, to get the, to get the full story and those multiple pers- perspectives, one of which for sure is social. I don't think that's the silver bullet though. I think, and you were alluding to that belief as well. One, one component, yeah, one component. Um, so that's like one kid <laughs> and then, and then uh, <laughs> I think search volume and that kind of thing, um, is a helpful component, but, but both of those components rely upon the fact that people actually utilize these tools to get, to go about their daily business. Um, yeah. and I don't well, have faith that they're always representative of the entire sample. And the other, the other question is as the, as the strategist in a lot of organizations, as I've already said, is not in the tool, maybe has some guidance on, Hey, I wish I knew this in comparison to that. So search volume is a great example where, if you're at an agency or if you're at a, at a big enterprise, you don't, you probably don't have control over what, what dashboards are being created and how things are being reported to you. So you might say, Oh, I would love to have search volume in this report, but you have to go figure out who's the person that collects that data that adds it to a dashboard that gets sent back to you or sent up the food chain until the executive you want to see it sees it. So it can be really challenging sometimes to know the answer but not have your hand on the steering wheel to be able to, to drive it. You can recommend it. For sure. And in the year 2019, I think the, the issue is not the ability to access data because we've got data for days and weeks and years and millennia. Our, our issue is how to tame that data uh, and how to make sure that we are, we're aware of what the data points are that are available to us, but we're only selecting those that we really need. Right. So one, another fun metaphor that I use often is that reporting, whether we're looking at brand health or a conversion rate or email metrics or whatever, reports are kind of like icebergs. Like if you think of all the data that's available to us, it, it kind of is represented by this gigantic chunk of ice that's floating out in the ocean somewhere. But only like a small portion of that data resides above the surface. That's, right. the, that's the stuff that we show. And we chose that stuff. We chose that stuff. Us. Yes. Those are the things, those are our KPIs, right? The things that we are utilizing um, to start the conversation and to show our reporting audiences that these are important and here's how we're gauging our success. Amen. So you just said, start the conversation. The, the reports, the reporting, the dashboards are not the end all. That's not, it is, it is the conversation starter. Oh, 
It's like the agenda. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, the reports are the easy part, like the, the digging below the surface or to look at all that other chunk of ice that's way below the surface. That's where all the magic happens. That's where all the fun right. is. That's, so above the surface is what we show. Below is what the analyst must know. Like when, when we see items in the report that say, ooh, that number went up, I wonder why. That question why could lead to an hour and a half of digging and trying to figure out right. what the hell's going on. Right. Or 20 more slides that explain what <laughs> yeah. that was. Yeah. Right? Oh, you didn't see this news story on Business Insider about your brand? Yeah. Well, here, let me show you what, what it was and what actually caused it and what the foundation was at was from this social post. Yeah, exactly. And over time, if we're doing it right, that report, the way that it looks today, probably shouldn't look the same way six months from now. Right. Like as as we evolve, as our brands evolve, as our needs change, as our targets shift, we probably need to adjust our reporting to reflect those those alterations as well. Cool. I have a question for you that has been uh, tugging at me for a while. And I've been I've been asking this question a lot as well. There is a it seems like for a lot of people in the digital space, there is a line between conversion and brand. So anything we're doing, you get to pick. And in my role and in a lot of people's worlds, I, why do I have to pick? I want to do things that could potentially convert or design to convert, but that don't harm the brand or actually improve the brand through experiences we are trying to. And I think part of it is the language. So in the, the SaaS space, it's thinking about how we can reduce friction, but improve brand experience to increase affinity for the brand, even if they don't use that language to keep people entrenched and staying in our loop, in our product loop. But it seems very much when we're talking about reporting or digital, there's this invisible line between, well, we can optimize for conversion or we can optimize for brand. And I want to just get your take on that. I'm throwing that out at you. And, and I wanted to see what, what your gut response is to that. How do you approach that challenge? I, I I hate to pander to the podcast host, but I would agree. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, no, I I actually encourage oh, that. Okay, so pander away. Yeah, I'll give you my address for my gift. Um, <laughs> so I think that you can't do both. I think, in in my view, and and this is coming from the person that's that's that did conversion rate optimization for 15 years straight, and I've got the scars to prove it. Yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's rough. That's my nom. Um, so <laughs> I. I think that only focusing on conversion rate optimization or just conversions in general is a very short-term strategy. Um, when at, at any agency I've worked at, whenever we got a new client, there was a lot of excitement from all the team members except for me <laughs> because I would always like, all right, great, new client, who are they? Because if they didn't have a healthy brand, that meant doomsday for me for the next six months to figure out how to build a campaign for an organization or a product or service that nobody knows about yet. I'm like, oh. and so therefore if they don't know about it, they're not searching it. Right. So you could optimize the three people a week that go to the website. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it be better to be optimizing 3 million people a week? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so, but on the, on the opposite side of the coin, um, when we got a new client from a brand that had, health and people knew about or was on the come up in terms of demand and interest. I was the one doing backflips. It was like, all right, good. My job's going to be easy because it's going to be uh, so much, so much less friction when there's familiarity. 
right? Um, well, you mentioned before unaided awareness. Um, I did not prompt you to do that. That was an unaided response. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unaided awareness is everything. If I go to Google and I type in Jimmy John's, I'm going to Jimmy John's if there's one nearby, right? If the map pulls it up. But if I go there and I type in sandwiches or ringing that out again, lunch near me, I'm getting further and further away from converting to that brand. And so when the brand is healthy and I know what it is and why, like the Arby's example, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I want a roast beef sandwich. Eh, that's not likely. I want a sandwich with meat. Oh, okay. Now all of a sudden it's like, it fills my brain. It fills my search panel. It becomes an easier thing to go find. Yeah. And sandwiches with meat are the best sandwiches. I have to agree. It's all sprouts is just lame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sigh was worth 50 bucks. Thank you. So I, yeah, exactly. And so the way that Google does that when you just search for like sandwich shop or sandwiches with meat is they, they, they're doing the same thing and their way of determining popularity or familiarity is looking at the metrics that say, all right, how many people have been to this place? How many reviews do they have? And what are the quality of those reviews? Right. And so, and, and that, in that way, the review engine is their way of measuring the health and vitality of that brand. And it could right. be an Arby's or it could be like, you know, Joe's sub shop that we make, maybe I've never heard of, but people in that neighborhood love. And I love when I do get a good recommendation that way, mm-hmm. but it is usually, I usually see a list of three or four things I've never heard of. And I have to go, do I feel like exploring right now? Or do I just want, you know, especially during the week, yeah. like it's something I know because I need a shorthand. I've got 20 minutes. I got to go knock this out. For sure. Yeah. I mean, to, and to go back to your original question, like <laughs> I, I don't think it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? Like conversion and branding have to go together. Um, they have to, um, otherwise it's just kind of a bland program. Um, and well, how do you, okay. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, <laughs> If they're in those scenarios where we didn't have a great brand already, I would be the one talking to the creative folks or, or the strategic marketing folks on the team saying, we're going to create this program to support this with search. However, how are we going to improve the, the search volume? Like, what are we going to be doing from an advertising or branding standpoint or, or PR standpoint to improve the number of searches? And that's the number of chances we have to succeed. Absolutely. Right. Right. Because I can, I can optimize it, but if it's a very small thing I'm optimizing, it's, it's only going to yield so many results. Right. We need to be filling that pool. Yeah. And it gets difficult when, when you've got clients with limited budgets who want it all, but can only afford one of those two things. What are a couple of things you look at as indicators of brand health? I mean, you already mentioned search volume. Um, I would assume organic traffic is another measure. Um, you know, direct traffic, people just keying right into your site or using your your digital products to go right to your uh, messaging, your content. Any other hidden um, brand indicators that you see in dashboards or that you've you've kind of gleaned you hit on the big years. ones you hit on the big ones for sure so search impressions search volume for the brand branded search um also um direct traffic like you said is a good one um from a paid advertising perspective i always like to see if there's other competitors who are vying for positioning for the brand who are bidding on yeah. our on our client or our brand right that's always a pretty good sign uh, so if there if there's intense competition for people bidding against your own brand, then your brand must be valued. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also think to just the other, other kind of proxy metrics, like 
I know it's it's a vanity metric, but in a way, uh, like the number of followers you have on social is is kind of a good kind of a good metric for that kind of thing, um, especially recent subscribers and followers and things like that. How, like what the trend of that is. If you got all those followers back in oh you know oh eight, that's cool. But you know it's if it's the same ones, that's a problem. So looking at the trend of that growth, um, and then in down seasons. If the search volume stays the same, that's always a good sign. So for businesses that do have some kind of seasonality, if the level of searches remain the same for the brand, that's always a pretty good sign. Got it. So if you're like Leslie's pools, Mm -hmm. we can anticipate that web traffic cuts in half starting in right now, Labor Day. It probably cuts off as people cover their pools in the Northeast and the Midwest. Correct. Not not here in Arizona, but elsewhere. Um, I'm still swimming in mine, but... Um, I'm still sweating in mine. It's too hot. Yeah. <laughs> but if we, uh, if their brand is really healthy, they should still be getting, they should be doing things on their site and on their digital channels where they're still generating interest from people who like the brand. Correct. And there should be an expected lull, but if it's not too depressed, um, that's, that's typically a good sign. Right. And year over year, I guess your goal is to, Hey, how can we, how can we improve that next year? You know, this, this falls traffic. What did we see that we liked? And how do we improve brand health next fall? That's our opportunity. And then in summertime, what do we do in store, either online or in person that makes people get into that virtuous loop where they like engaging with the brand enough to read about things that we're, that we're doing or watch our video. For sure. And kind of, kind of attached to some of those metrics that you had mentioned with direct and and organic search um, volume and impressions. It's also interesting to try and understand and draw correlations between marketing activities that might have had an impact, like an indirect impact on those metrics. Mm -hmm. So for example, display campaign or display in general kind of gets crapped on a lot, right? Because it it doesn't provide conversion. Um, However, um, it's interesting to do flights with display um, to see what the search volume is for the brand when the display campaign is on full blast and when it's, when the budget for display is suppressed. Even beyond view through you're, you're talking about, does this generate enough mental impression that people are reminded of the brand? And I've, that's funny that you say that because I, I would look at um, in my big social listening heyday too, I would look at social listening during times where we have display flights going that are not on social and see bumps and mentions even though nobody ever clicks a banner. Right? Yeah. The, the challenge there is it can be dangerous from an analyst perspective, right? Where you might be giving credit to display for, for giving all that, that boost when it was actually something else. Cause it's, it's indirect, right. right? It's hard to see. Yeah. Well, it's a correlation. It's not causation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The other one that I've got an example for is I work for um, a company in the Midwest that sells farming equipment and they did some YouTube uh, work in some YouTube video production for just one category of equipment. And they promoted the YouTube videos for this particular p- piece of equipment or this equipment category, and they didn't promote anything else. And during the time that they did search volume for that particular equipment category increased, the others remained flat. Oh, nice we didn't have control. anything else going on. So being able right. to isolate that is, is valuable too. It's hard when, when so brands have so many channels and so many things, especially for something like that category where there's a sales force, it's hard to create a controlled environment for tests like that. So yeah. that's a pretty rare opportunity. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, Chris, where can people find you online? This has been uh, a fantastic talk from, from my, I selfishly, 
I am really working on a deck that that dovetails right into this uh, conversation. Cool. So I probably, you probably should invoice me for this, <laughs> this hour for all the good ideas you just gave me. So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Sietzema on LinkedIn. And then I'm on Twitter at uh, Sietzema. I am. Uh, you're, not, you're not really on Twitter. From time to time. Uh, not really on Twitter, no. I do get notifications. I will, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I will link to both of those things and I'll link to uh, Teach to Fish. Website. Yeah, I'll send you those 52 questions too if you want. I think that'd be great. Um, I really appreciate you making time to join me today. This was a wonderful conversation. Always good to catch up with you. Uh, we should do it again soon without microphones. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Great. All right. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Your feedback means everything. Send us a tweet at a Pierno or at strategy underscore inside. Leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. And please, please, please share this podcast with your friends. Let people know you like it and send people you want to be guests our way. We would love to hear more. Strategy Inside Everything is produced and hosted by Adam Kiernan. For information about the show or to find out how to be a guest, you can go to adamkiernan.com slash podcast. For information about Adam's books, Underthink It and Specific, or to find out how to invite Adam to be a speaker at an upcoming event, please go to adampierno.com slash speaker. Thanks for listening.